some way we could just if we could convince people just how wonderful our God is and if they could just get a glimpse and if they could just if they if we had one clue I mean just of the greatness of God I mean it would blow all of us away and the Bible shows us everything we need to know but you know we've got to have faith we've got to have faith you're gonna have to believe it and we haven't got to see him high and lifted up yet 
But my Bible says we're going to someday, and it's that's going to be. I can only imagine what that's going to be like. And I'm, I tell you, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that day. And so I haven't seen it yet, but I believe I'm going to someday, and I believe that by faith. And that's the that's the trick sometimes getting people to have that faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Second Corinthians, chapter six. Second Corinthians chapter six. Of course, we've been doing these different things that you see up there: salvation, soul winning, uh, service. Those are the ones that we've done so far. And today we're going to talk about one that is probably not the most uh, popular subject in churches today. But you know what? There's a lot of Bible on it, and we're here. You know, we're supposed to preach all things. We're supposed to teach all things whatsoever. I have commanded you, and if it's in the Bible, we can't dance around it. We can't overlook it. We're going to have we we're going to we're going to teach it here, and um, I believe that. Uh, I believe this is something that is it's so important. And it's one that's being forgotten in churches today. And people, they're not talking about it and they don't want to hear about it. It's not one that gets, it's not necessarily something that gets everybody excited. But once again, I believe that the reason people aren't getting excited about this is because they just don't fully understand what it's all about. And if they did, and if they, if they understood, I mean, I mean, this should be a subject that excites people to death. And I'm here to tell you today that I'm excited about it. And that is the subject is separation. Separation. I know that's a bad word in some churches today. We're not supposed to talk about that. But it's a Bible word. And it's something that, we're, that we need to teach. And if you would, if you would have that, that's, it's absolutely necessary if you want to have a victorious life. I don't know about you, but I don't like being defeated. I don't like losing. I don't like being down and and defeated. I want to be victorious. And there are some things that we're going to look at today that God has told us we need to have in our life, and they all go with. We're going to talk about separations and things we need to be separate from. And in Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen, it says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together." With unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You so much for the privilege of being able to preach Your Word. And dear Lord, I pray that I will be able to get the message across, Lord, in the way that You would want it to be, that You would want it to be given, Lord. And I just pray that it will be received in a right way. I pray that You will just speak to hearts. I pray this will challenge us, dear Lord. And I pray that You will use it and help us to be victorious Christians. In Your name, we pray. Amen. Separation. It's not necessarily, like I said, it's not a popular subject, but it is biblical. It's, and it's absolutely necessary in being able to live 
a victorious Christian life. Now, once again, our theme that we've had this spring is going for the gold. We've said we've said it several times that when in the Olympics, those athletes they go out there. They're not shooting for the silver. They're not shooting for the bronze. Even though you and I know that that would be something I would think anybody could be proud of. A real Olympian that's got the right attitude is going for the gold. They want to get the very best that they can possibly get. And as Christians and as God's people and as a church, we ought to want to have the very best church that we can possibly have. We, I mean, we, we need to go for the gold. We want, we ought to, you ought to want to have the best in everything. I hope that when you got married and you picked your wife, I hope that you believed that she was the best that there was. I hope you didn't go to her and say, you know, I'm going to ask you to marry me. Uh, there's one that's a whole lot better and I'm pretty sure that she'd probably have me. I could probably get her, but you know, I'm going to settle for you. Okay, probably wouldn't go over real well. My wife and I, we just celebrated our 11th anniversary this Friday. And you know what? I believe I got the best. When I picked her, I went for what? This is the best one in the world. That's the one I want to get. I didn't look at her and say, yeah, you know, there's other ones that, you know, they're better, but I'm going to settle for you. Hopefully you didn't do that. I hope you didn't do that. I hope you don't think that way. I hope you think you got the best, you know, you the best wife or the best husband. I hope, I hope you think that. I remember my dad he used to tell me all the time. I know with kids you don't necessarily pick your kids, but my dad used to always tell us, and I've told our kids this before. He he would tell me when I was just a little kid. He'd say, you know what? If I if if all the boys in the world were standing, if I could see all the boys in the world, and God told me I could just pick one, I'd pick you. That's what he'd always tell me. And you know, he'd go on and talk about how I was the best and everything as a kid. You know, I'd be thinking I was great and all that kind of stuff. And it, it'd make me feel good. Man, I remember he'd, he'd tell with my sisters, I had four sisters, so you know, he'd always have to do, you know, if they were five years old, you know, if I, all the five year old girls in the world were lined up, you know, and he would, he would say things like that. And all of us, hopefully, in everything we do, we strive for the best that we can possibly get. And if we want to be the best Christians we could possibly be, if we want to have the best life we could possibly have, I hope you want to have a good life. I hope you want to be, I hope you want to be happy. I hope you don't want to just be, Happy half the time, or you know, somewhat you know, cheerful. I mean, hopefully you want to be happy. We go for the best, and that's why we're talking about some of these things because they're absolutely necessary. And separation—it's key. It's so important. And there are there's just a few things, five things I want us to look at that we need to be separate on in our lives. And one of those is we need to be separate in our worship. We need to be separate. In our worship. You know, I know this isn't politically correct what I'm going to say, but if you're around me very long, you'll find out I'm not the most politically correct person in the world. And it's not because I don't care about people. It's not because I've never taken sensitivity training or anything like that. It's just because I believe in speaking the truth. And here's the truth. One God is not as good as another God. One God is... You know, there's other gods out there, I guess. If you want to call them gods, false gods. But you know what? There's nothing like our God. There's nothing like our. There's nothing like this God that we serve. There's no. There's no other. There's no other God. There's no other God who is willing to give His only Son to pay for our sins. There was no other God that was willing to to leave the glories of heaven and come and live on this earth as a man and die on a cross and pay for our sins, rise from the dead. I mean, give, give us that gift of salvation. There's no other God like that. 
There's no other God that had the power to speak this universe into existence. There's another God like that. There's no other God that was able to open the Red Sea the way our God did for the children of Israel. There's no other God like Him. There's, I mean, our God is, is far beyond any other God that you can talk about. Far beyond it. And you know what? We are to be separate in our worship. You say, well, I, don't, I don't like that. Well, you know what? Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn there. Exodus chapter 20, God is giving the Ten Commandments. Alright, you know, these are the ten big ones that people talk about. You know, people will say, oh, you know, if you want to go to heaven, all you gotta do is, you know, be a good person and, and follow the Ten Commandments. Okay, which you and I know it's not about works, and we're gonna talk a little more about that later. But, the Ten Commandments are very important. And it says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 1, And God spake these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. First commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. The first of the Ten Commandments. Verse 4, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate Me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love Me and keep My commandments. We see here that God does not want us worshiping other gods. He doesn't want us bowing down to idols. He doesn't want us serving any other god. The very next verse, He said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I mean, those first three commandments are all about our relationship between us and God. And He is a God that's worthy to be worshipped and worthy to be praised. And He is a God that is uh, that we should not be using His name in an inappropriate way. We should not be blaspheming the name of God. We should not be bowing down to other idols. We ought to be separated in our worship. He said, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He's jealous. He sees us worshiping something before Him. That's not okay. That's God's going to punish that. He said, I will that God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate Me. You want to have a victorious life? You want to have a happy life? You're going to have to be separate in your worship. We can't play this game of saying all gods are okay, all religion is okay. And listen, I'm not trying to put these people down. I believe they're sincere. I believe we ought to love these people, but I also believe we need to get the Gospel to them. And we need to show them that there is only one true God and that His Son Jesus Christ is the only way that we can have access to God and to have a relationship with God. And we need we need to tell people about it. We belong to Him. He's, he's our God. We need to and we ought to act like it. First Corinthians chapter six nineteen says, What? Know ye not? that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. If you're saved today, you belong to God. You've been bought with a price. If you're to glorify God in your body. And you know what? That's amazing that the Bible says that our body is the temple of God. 
Because I don't know if you've ever seen any models of it or pictures of it doesn't exist now, but if you look back in the Old Testament times, God had that the temple of God was a giant, beautiful place. I mean, gold all over the place. I mean, it was beautiful. I can't even imagine what... I mean, it must have been an unbelievable thing to see the beauty of this temple, this building where God dwelt and where the mercy seat was and where the priests would go and uh, do the sacrifices and things. All the, I mean, it was an amazing, amazing place. And God went from dwelling in there to dwelling in here. And these... He, this is his temple. <laughs> you would you think, you know, why would he go from that to this? But you know what? God wants he wanted to do that. He wanted to dwell in us. He wants to and he wants us to glorify him in our bodies and in our spirit, which are God's. We need to be separate in our worship. We worship God and God alone. And then secondly, we ought to be separate in our works. We've got to be separate in our works. Now listen, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved to good works. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to turn over there, a great passage here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, two very well-known verses of the Bible. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is nobody who has ever gotten saved because of their good works. Nobody has ever done that. Nobody is good enough. I, I believe that. That is, that is Bible. But look at what it says before that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved." and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast on. Notice, God raised us up. When we when he saved us, I mean, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We all were there at one point. If you think that you were never there, if you think you never walked according to the course of this world, that you never were a bad person, you've always been basically good, I'm here today to tell you that you probably are not saved. Because I'm here today, the Bible says that we were all there. This is the Apostle Paul talking here. He said we all had our conversation in time past fulfilling the lust of our flesh. We've all done that, but thank God He saved us not, not through our works, but by grace through faith. Now, not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God didn't save us just so we could keep being bad and go to heaven. Thank God. I mean, we're still sinners and we still struggle. And thank God that we don't have to be perfect after we get saved from the time we get saved until we die. Because we had all blown it a long time ago. We're still not perfect. But when He saved us, He saved us 
unto good works, and He has ordained it that we walk in them. God has things that He wants us to do. And it's not what we were doing before. He wants us to be different. He wants us to be separated. He, he has saved us so we can do some good works. He want, And then He wants you to do the things like going to church and reading your Bible and praying and doing all those nice things that unfortunately many people think is earning them heaven. It doesn't earn you heaven, but it is what you are supposed to do. If you do good works, good. That's good works. But it doesn't save you. But you know what? Just because it doesn't save you doesn't mean God doesn't want us doing them after we get saved. He wants us to do good. He wants us to be separated in our works. There And also, so there are things we're supposed to do, but there's also things that we're not supposed to do. And we're not supposed to talk about those things. I know, you know, we don't want to ever make anybody feel bad. But once again, it's in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 5, just a few chapters over, verse 1, it says, "...be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints." He said, "Don't not even one time don't let that be named among you. God said there's there's some things for my people that they should never be involved in, that they should never participate in. And he goes on and says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. A lot of times people will see verses like that and they'll say, well, obviously you have to do good if you're going to go to heaven. Well, no, that is not the case. But the truth is, if a person is really saved, there are certain things that they are going to remain separate from. And I'm sorry, but I scratch my head and I wonder about people today who say that they're saved, who say that they're on their way to heaven, but they are doing every one of these things that the Bible said not to do and that is not supposed to be once named among you. Things that God said if we do, that we're going to... There's going to be chastisement. There's going to be scourging that comes from the Lord. And there doesn't seem to be any. And they seem to be going along and just enjoying this wicked lifestyle. But the Bible says that is not supposed to happen. Verse 6, "...let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience." I'm here today to tell you that if you're saved, you're saved. I don't believe a person who is truly saved can lose their salvation. But don't be deceived. If you if you get involved in these things, the wrath of God is going to come down on you. Unlike it does on lost people. You know why? Because you're His children. You're not going to see me out in Walmart if there's some kid that's misbehaving. It's not my kid. I'm not going to go and I'm not going to go handle that. I'm not going to punish that kid. I'm not going to go tell that kid, "Hey, you're grounded for a week." I have no right. That's not my child. But if my kids are doing it, now we have a different story. And we're God's children, and if we get involved in these things, He's going to come down on us. Verse 7, "...Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." He said, I know you used to be like that. You're not that anymore. Now you're separate. Walk at like it. Act like you are children of God. So we're supposed to be separate in our worship. We're supposed to be separate in our works. 
And then third, we are to be separate in our words. Listen, a new man ought to have a new speech. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. Colossians says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We would be separate in our words. That blasphemy, you know, before you got saved, you might have been a blasphemer. You might have used all the filthy language, and I know nobody ought to do that. But you know, if you did that before you got saved, you know, I understand. I understand people who blaspheme God that are lost. If they had a clue of who God was, they wouldn't do it. But you, if you're saved today, if you're a child of God, if you claim to know Christ, why in the world would you blaspheme His name? Why in the world would you talk about these filthy things? Why would you lie one to another? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you tell the dirty jokes? Why would you talk about these sinful, disgusting things? I mean, you hear some perverted stuff out there today. I mean, you're going to hear that. People are lost. You were there at one time. We've all been there. We were all lost at one time. God had to save us. But now that we're saved, we are to be separate in our words. There ought to be things that people never hear come out of our mouth. I remember when I worked at Walmart, there was a situation and somebody had gotten real angry and Went and just, you know, went on a little rant that had all kinds of inappropriate words involved. And the supervisor was talking to me and he was asking me about the situation and I was kind of explaining, I was telling him what had happened and I was like, and he said, and I was saying what he said, but I was rephrasing everything. And it was like, and, and the supervisor knew that there was a lot more said than that. And he was just like, he looked at me and he said, are you like some kind of Christian or something that's not allowed to cuss? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> and and you know, they, ought, they ought to hear us talking in a different way. We ought to be separate. Our words can grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, wherefore putting away lying. Okay, it doesn't just happen automatically when we get saved. You're still going to be tempted to do it. You might, but you're supposed to put it away. Say, so, you know, I know I used to lie, but I'm not going to do that anymore. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. In verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
If you're saved, you are sealed today by the Holy Spirit of God. But when you, when we get involved in some of these things that we talk about, when you use that filthy language and the perverted communication, that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible said, don't do that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. He's going to be with you until the day that someday you are like Christ and those, that sin nature is gone. But in the meantime, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So we need to be separate in our worship. We need to be separate in our works. We need to be separate in our words. And then this is another one that, boy, you know, this is why we have pulpits because they can make good shields. But you know what? It's in the Bible and we're going to talk about it. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, we are to be separate in our wardrobe. Uh-oh. <laughs> separate in our, in our wardrobe. Now, I, I wouldn't, I would never attempt to tell anybody what to wear. I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna leave that. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit tell you what to do. Now, but I'm gonna show you what the Bible says about clothing. Sometimes people like, you know, why do you, you know, why do some Christians dress different? Well, maybe you can find out some of these things. Here, 1 Corinthians 2-9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Right here it's talking, it's talking to women, but it's saying if we, basically if we claim to be godly, we ought to look like it. That which becometh women professing godliness with good works, there are uh, there are things that you know. If we claim, you know, it's okay to look like it. You know, I if somebody, I remember one time I was outside, I was mowing the grass at my old church, and I remember I see this car come pulling up in the driveway, and I remember I look, I looked at that car and I thought, what are they doing? It had tinted windows all the way around it, and I thought, what what's going on? So I went and I. I went there was right by the entrance to the kitchen, so I went in there to get a drink of water just to make sure these people knew that hey somebody's around and uh, maybe they would leave because I didn't know what was going on. And then I remember I got up there and I looked and I can kind of see in the car and there were some scary looking people in there. I mean they they were scary looking. And the guy gets out of the car and this guy I mean he comes out and he's all pierced up and he's got crazy hair and I mean he he was scary looking. And I remember he comes, he comes up to me, and he's like, hey, we're gonna be here for a while, and he flashes open a badge. They were, they were undercover police officers, and they were getting ready to go somewhere where they were gonna to try to do a, a drug bust. And, and I was glad he showed me that badge, cause you know what, by the way he looked, I couldn't tell that they were police. <laughs> and it, it, I was a little scared, and I was a little nervous. I was glad he had that badge. And you know what? As Christians, we don't always have badges that we can show. But you know what? I think it's important that we look like that we look godly, that we dress in a way that's godly, and that we look like Christians. And, that, and, and, and you know, and I felt a whole lot better after that when he explained that to me. But our, our, because our clothing, and listen, everybody in the world knows this except for Christians. Christians are probably some of the only people in the world that ever argue this. It, our clothing makes a statement of who we are. That's that's why people spend a fortune sometimes on clothes. They're trying to make a statement. Sometimes people will spend a fortune on clothes that really are ugly. I mean, you look at. I mean, you know how much some people spend on pants that don't fit? 
I mean, I thank God that I've got liberty in Christ and I don't have to dress like the world and I'm allowed to wear pants that fit me. I'm glad my pants aren't hanging down to here and I gotta worry about them falling down all the time. I thank God, I thank God for that. But people will do that. And you know what? I remember one time I, I this guy, and he was, he was supposed to be a Christian and he had these pants that, I mean, the bottoms of them were huge. I told him, I said, man, if you jumped out of an airplane, you wouldn't need a parachute. Those things are so big. And he spent a fortune on those pants. I thought, good night. They had tw- the, the bottoms were like, he said they were 22 inches around. I was like, that's huge. He's like, oh, that's nothing. I got another pair that's got 40 inches. I thought, that's bigger than my waist. I could wear those pants upside down. <laughs> and this kid was skinnier than I was. And he spent a fortune on it. You know what? He was trying to make some kind of statement. I don't know. I'd rather not make that statement, but he, he wanted to. But Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10 says, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. It didn't say she was a harlot, it just said she had the attire of a harlot. He looked at her and it said, This woman's bad news. There's something wrong. With how I can tell there's something wrong with how she's dressed, and then it goes on, and it turns out she was she was uh, that she did some horrible things. Came up after that, she had the attire of a harlot. It makes a statement of who we are. He said, "I don't, you know, that's that's just being hypocritical." Well, you know, some of the biggest hypocrites that we have in this country are our military. Do you know, you can look at those guys, and you can tell by their uniform. Which branch they're in. You can tell if they're Army, you can tell if they're Navy, tell if they're Marines. And they don't mind wearing their uniforms. In fact, they're proud of it. They wear those, and they should be. It's an honorable thing. And they have no problem with that. One thing I've never seen in my life I have never seen an Army guy wearing an Army shirt and Navy pants. I guarantee you that would be an abomination to them. There is no way they would be caught dead, you know, if they're or if they're in the Navy, vice versa, or whatever. They're gonna wear that uniform that represents the branch of the military that they're in, and they're proud of it. And they would never they would never mix it. They're not gonna send mixed signals. You know, me, I wouldn't mind wearing you know, I wouldn't mind wearing a hat that said, you know, Army, Navy, you know, Coast Guard, you know, all Marines, all of them on there. Because I, I support all of them. But I've never been an actual part of one of them. But somebody who is, they don't mind being identified with that. They understand that that uniform, it's saying, I'm in this branch of the military. And they have no problem with that. Our police officers, you can tell the difference between a police officer and a firefighter. You can tell the difference in those things. They wear things that makes a statement of who they are. And it's it's Okay. And you know what? You don't. I mean, how many of you have ever seen another another one you might see? Maybe that's necessarily good. A gangster. All right. You know, you got you got the gangsters out there. How many gangsters do you see? You know, dressed in white shirts and ties and <laughs> things like. Oh, that's not going to be very intimidating. You know, I'm trying to go around. I'm trying to look. I'm trying to look tough, and I'm trying to make a statement in town, make everybody scared of me. Well, you know what? If I was going to try to scare people, I'm not going to go out dressed like this. <laughs> it's not. It's it's not going to work. Our clothing it makes a statement. Our clothing is a testimony to others. In First Kings chapter ten, we talked about this last week. The Queen of Sheba, when she came um, and she saw that uh, to visit Solomon, and she saw that all these things. And one thing she noticed their apparel. I mean, she it, it she noticed that these people took this serious. I mean, these. Uh, that these that God had blessed these people. It made a statement. It was a testimony. And as Christians, 
I'm not going to tell you today. You know, God doesn't lay out an actual dress code for us. You know, I mean, it, it lays out what's nakedness and what's not nakedness. I can tell you right now, you shouldn't be naked. All right, you ought to wear clothes. And let me tell you, nakedness uh, is not the biblical nakedness is, doesn't exactly line up with nakedness in our country today. <laughs> There's you can get away with wearing very little in this country today, and that's completely inappropriate. But as Christians, God doesn't want us trying to blend in with the world. Zephaniah 1.8 says, And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such that are clothed with strange apparel. Now this, he's ta- this is Old Testament here. He's talking to the children of Israel. But one of the things that had been happening during this time is Israel, because of the captivity and everything and the battles they were going through, a lot of other countries were around. And one of the things they were getting away from, they were getting away from their, the culture that they had, and the, the, the law that they had, and they were starting to blend in with all these other nations. There was one story where I believe it was Nehemiah, he went and the people were speaking, the language was kind of a combined language. They weren't speaking the holy language anymore. And I mean, God was upset with that. They were blending in, they, they mixed in. And I'm here today to tell you, that God doesn't, I mean, we, we shouldn't try to hide the fact of who we are. I'm not saying you gotta wear a suit and tie everywhere you go. I don't do that. I mean, you know, when I'm out mowing the grass, you know, I, I got my grubby clothes and stuff I dress, but I'm not gonna wear anything that's gonna send mixed signals. I'm not gonna be out there, you know, wearing a ACDC shirt or Budweiser shirt. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not, I'm, it's, it's not gonna happen. I don't wanna send mixed signals. I drove by a house yesterday. It had a sign in it for Romney, Santorum, Newt Gingrich, Obama. And I'm thinking, who do they like? <laughs> What's going on here? It was kind of confusing. I remember one time I drove by a car and on the back bumper sticker, it had, they had uh, on one side it said uh, Bush and Cheney. On the other side it said Obama and Biden. And I noticed there was a man and a woman in there and I was wondering if there was Republicans and Democrats in that car. And I thought, wow, I don't know how they get along at all. But separation. We don't, we don't want to send mixed signals to the world. And I know that all these things we've been talking about, all of them, with the exception of maybe the worship, they all kind of deal with the outside. But I'm here today to tell you that more importantly than any of these things, we ought to be separate in our walk. Because far more important than separation on the outside is separation on the inside. First Peter chapter 3, verse 3, "...whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corrupt to believe in the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price." You know, there's people, they've, boy, they've got it down with the outward. I mean, boy, you look at those folks and man, nobody would ever think that they weren't a Christian. But let me tell you, they're just as wicked as the devil on the inside. And I'm here today to tell you that God is not impressed one bit with how they look. God's not impressed one bit with their works. God is more concerned about what's on the inside. One thing that God wants more than anything is a true walk with Him. Hebrews 11.5 talks about a man named Enoch. It says that by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. 
Now, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about Enoch. But if you go back in Genesis and read about Enoch, you know what it does? The main thing it says about him? Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. More, we ought to be separate in our walk with God. You, ought to, you need to have a relationship with Him, a personal relationship with Him. That is more important than any of these other things. If you don't have a walk with God, you can you can come to this church. You can you can get baptized. You can become a member. We can make you the you know a deacon or a trustee. We can you know we can give you all kinds of great titles. We can give you awards and recognition. We can do all kinds of things for you. And talk. we can label you the greatest Christian that ever walked in shoe leather. But I'm here today to tell you, if you don't even have a walk with God, if you're not even saved, it doesn't do you a bit of good. You might impress me, but you're not going to impress God. And we need to be we need to be separate in all these things, but more important than anything, in our walk with God, you need to have a walk with God. So let's all stand together this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed.